0: Cowabunga dudes, Uh, hey there, it's Kevin
1: Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Turtles, and you are listening to Grail Hunters Australia podcast with my friends Neville, Ben, and Michael. It's awesome. It's gonna be the best show ever.
2: Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Grey Australia podcast. In a few short weeks I will be travelling to San Diego Comic Con where I will be hosting a panel to celebrate the 40th anniversary of some of Australia's best comics and the creators behind them. In my preparation for the panel many of the great creators behind the likes of teams like Southern Cross, characters like Dark Nebula, Jackaroo, Flash Domingo, Plastique, Nightshade and The Rock all took time out of their schedules to chat with me about the story behind the stories. I recorded these sessions and found them too valuable to keep to myself, so with the consent of the creators, I will be releasing them over a number of short episodes so collectors and readers passionate about the books and the stories can enjoy them as much as I did. As mentioned earlier, this year marks the 40th anniversary of some of Australia's most significant creator-owned publications, comics and characters. And now, 40 years later, we're experiencing quite the renaissance. All our favourite teams and characters are making a comeback, and the doors of the Australian comic universe built in the 1980s will be swung wide open and shared with a new generation of reverie superheroes. In this episode, I chat to Gary Chaloner. Gary started his career in comics as a publisher in 1982, when he got the band together and formed Cyclo Comics, which then went on to play host to his own work. Cyclone went on to publish a range of amazing comic books, with titles as diverse as The Jackaroo, Southern Squadron, Dark Nebula, G.I. Joe Australia, Flash Domingo, and Cyclone Comics Quarterly. As the years rolled by, Gary also worked overseas, including US editions of The Jackaroo and Southern Squadron, as well as a very odd issue of The Badger and award-winning Planet of the Apes. Gary also worked on The Olympians, a two-issue prestige format by Marvel Comics, which featured art by the great Gary Martin and covers by Todd McFarlane and Carl Hessel gary was also lucky enough to have worked with the late great will eisner on stories featuring eisner's early creation john law detective this collaboration was subsequently released by idw publishing and awarded a ledger for international title of the year and what's gary up to now well you'll have to listen to the episode so let's get straight back into it yeah so the first question to you was uh kind of this like icebreaker like um you... You started around 1985, right? What drew you to self-publishing? And um, was it a character? Was it a story? Was it an idea of bringing Australian comics to life?
0: Uh, there's nothing so grand as that. It was basically just a, a love of comics and being a, a young kid that didn't really take no for an answer. Uh, and you know, wanting to do my own comics and draw and illustrate stories uh, but not realizing that uh by the you know when I first really started taking it seriously, it was the late 70s, early eighties, and there wasn't much else going on really. There was stuff going on, but it was so low key there was no structured um you know uh industry or there was only single creators like uh you know gerald carr and and eventually tad yeah guys uh, doing the, it on their uh, own eh uh, yeah so there, there was no structure to it and these guys were doing it very much along the same lines um you know because it was it was in their in their blood and they wanted mm. to do it so
1: yeah
0: uh, that that's i came along uh pretty much when ted had uh done his uh first dark nebula graphic novel and i met him but his all his artwork was at the uh, you know, Prince is getting neg shot because that was before the internet and it was all very old school where mm. the original artwork was shot to neg for plates so all his original art uh, wasn't around so we organized to get together we had a chat about comics and uh, had a lot in common uh, but he really had very little to show me except for a set of reduced photocopies photostats but uh, he didn't have any original art around so I got to see him a couple of times and a friendship developed there and he had uh, already become friends with uh glenn lumsden at the time and glenn was working on that first book as well as um sequels uh follow-up stories featuring dark nebula yeah and uh I'm not he, exactly he, told, sure. he actually
2: he actually gave me the same story do you believe it or not he told me about the fact that he met up with you and he was all excited and nervous to meet another creator and he had nothing to show
0: <laughs> right yeah 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 so oh, there you go so that's uh that's Passes the no bullshit test for <laughs> straight away. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so from there, so meeting Tad and um, finding out that there were other people that had the same uh, kind of essential dream uh, really was quite heartening that I knew I was going in the right direction. But uh, as far as an uh, industry, uh, I really I picked up uh, John Ryan's book, that panel by panel book, and started to read about uh, you know, going backwards in time as to what had happened leading up to the 1970s. Cause I think Ryan's book covered up until about 1979 and uh, where there wasn't much going on, really. There was yeah. a very small underground scene, surf magazines, Captain Good vibes and things like that, <clears throat> which I was following and really um, you know, scrabbling around trying to find what other Australian artists were out there. And uh, Tad had uh, been, Uh, living with or sharing a studio space with Paul Power and a few other creators that were doing newspaper strips at the time. But uh, newspaper strips were very hard to crack, even in the late 70s and early 80s. It was very much a um, a hard gig to try and get a regular comic strip going. So um, uh, just leaving high school at the time, my mum said, uh, you know, get a trade. So I wanted to do something that was um, associated with comics. So uh, I did graphic design, so that's always been a good backstop for me. But it also taught me, once I did all of my stories and artworks, what I had to do to get it to the printers and get it out there to the distribution outlets. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, meeting Tad. Uh, from Tad, I met Glenn, uh, and that was uh, the three core people that would eventually turn out to be Cyclone Comics. And through that little mini network, we met up with uh, the guys that would form the Yugel Club and met a whole swag of other people through them, including Dave DeVries. But there were the guys that would eventually go on to produce fantastic, Steve Carter and um, uh, McConaughey. And uh, what was his first name? I forgot already. Uh, Frank, Frank McConaughey.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, and Bodine at the time as well. And that's when
2: Bo joined in, yeah.
0: So and these these guys, um, you know, I've kept in touch with ever since and formed very firm and long-lasting long you know, professional and personal relationships with as well. Mm. So, um, you know, there, there wasn't, uh, subject-wise, we're very, very different content-wise as far as what we yeah. want to do with our comics. But as far as uh, everything else, uh, we had a hell of a lot in common at the time and that sort of bound us together. This, uh, it, was, it was like a sort of like a, um, uh, you know, meeting of the minds, I suppose, yeah. but uh, the execution yeah. and the results were different. But that, that all that that essential thing of wanting to create and wanting to tell stories, but how do we do it in Australia was the thing that sort of bound us together in those early days.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So initially Cyclone started off as an anthology, right? So it was co-contributed yeah, to. I mean,
0: if I hadn't met um Tad or any of the other guys, I probably would have done a just a solo title myself. Mm. And probably would have totally gone up against the brick wall uh, in in a lot of ways, you know, finding a market, finding a distributor, finding a way to market uh, my, my characters. And also my art style and uh, development as an artist was so immature at the time as well that uh, that it probably wouldn't have worked. But in meeting all these other artists and, uh, you know, seeing what other people do and how they approach their artwork, it was a huge steep learning curve, I think, for, for all of us. Um, and it also... idea of working with other creators uh alongside them for an anthology uh was a a very appealing to a young bloke who you know six months previously was just by himself and didn't know which which way to jump all of a sudden he had a lot of answers and he had a lot of people who were trying to find you you form that
2: support group right you form a support support group around that but it's also financially you share a burden in terms of trying to get everything done and Put it together and get creating
0: so it was, it was it was a bit of a no-brainer that uh to to form an anthology and uh the the Google club guys uh we were going to try and all band together to do this super australian anthology not a superheroic one but a big and a big concept australian anthology and it just as the the weeks went by it became clearer and clearer that there were essentially in very broad sense two camps one wanted to do a horror comic one wanted to do a superhero and adventure comic, so um, there was no uh, falling out. It was just a natural progression of creators yeah. finding a home for their creations mm-hmm. in yeah. these two anthologies. So, Cyclone developed over here with superheroes and adventure, and Fantastic developed over there with horror and horror and more horror. Yes, <laughs> yes,
2: yeah.
0: But you still read any, any Fantastic, fantastic stuff?
2: I do actually. I've got, I think, issue three and. Uh, I've got one or two of them. I also have my um, jackaroo here on the table. I was trying to reach for it earlier. But I just don't know. It's probably somewhere. Speaking beyond. of horror, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nah, nah. But but look, I, I think I think in, in concept that it's probably the best recipe at that point in time because of the printing. Yeah, it's mass volume, and you have got to worry about distribution and everything else that's associated with it. And you're not carrying that all by yourself when you when you work in a group like that.
0: And well, um, back back then, essentially, the distributors were king. Uh, You know, they really demand they uh, commanded or controlled where your comics were going to be distributed. You had a certain amount of say as to, oh, well, that one that news agent in the centre of Sydney is selling twenty comics. Can we get fifty comics in there next time? And it's really up to the distributor to go, yeah, we can do that, or yeah, nah. yeah. yeah. So a lot of the success. Uh, of each issue fell on the shoulders of the distributor and how much they cared about your product as well.
2: Mm. Yeah, because I, I, I can imagine that conversation was just one directional, right?
0: <laughs> oh, very much so. Because you're dealing yeah. with a rep, you know, like a rep for the business who he doesn't give a shit about Australian comics, you know. Yeah. It's just, uh So you, you're educating these people who, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a rep there who's just doing it for a job, a suit and tie, and he's dealing with his um, accounts and he's dealing with one Australian comic and probably 30, you know, farming or, you know, adult magazines or yeah. you name it. Yeah. So uh, how much attention does he give to something that they would probably perceive as very experimental and not going to last an issue or two? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we yeah. fooled them.
2: <laughs> hey, it got through, it got through, so that's yeah. all right. So um, your involvement with the uh, Southern Squadron, like I, I know that, yeah. Not just was it part of part of the anthology and it birthed out of the anthology, but you were heavily involved during the early stages of the formation of what that meant and what it is as a team. Uh, Do you want to talk through any of that?
0: Uh, Well, you know, the anthology was chugging along with uh, you know four primary sets of characters. There was the Jackaroo set of characters. There was the Squadron set of characters. There was Dark Nebula. And there was the Golden Age Southern Cross, which was a, you know, Will eisner style of 1930s pulp series. And uh, at the first eight, eight issues came and went with Cyclone. And it became obvious by issue eight that um, the, the squadron was getting a lot of a positive response. And so we thought that it might be a good idea, a smart idea to condense the anthology or, or aim, aim more directly for a target market of uh, superheroics. And uh, my artwork at the time was getting a lot of good feedback as well. So the obvious thing was to combine uh, Dave's popular characters with my popular artwork and see whether we could get, you know, a a double hit going. So the plan was for Dave to to write the squadron and for me to become the regular artist. Mm. Um, And that's where um, those first two issues of the squadron went really well. And, uh, um, but you know, after a couple of issues, it became apparent that uh, Cyclone was growing in all the other directions as well with other titles that we were publishing. Yeah. And uh, we couldn't do everything ourselves. So, and I wanted to spend more time on, um, you know, the Jackaroo again. And Dave wanted to spend more time on the Squadron, getting back into the art side of things. So, um, growth kind of determined that. After those two issues, Dave was going to take back over the squadron, and I was going to develop the Jackaroo title. So yeah. um, there was those those two issues, and then we started to, to grow into each other's titles, our own titles. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I spoke to, you, and this is the advantage of having already spoken to some of the other guys. When I spoke to Tad earlier, he uh, casually referred to yourself, Glenn, him, and Dave as kind of the 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 80s comic Beatles of that era because of the fact that you guys organically got together and you were able to make it work um and there was a fifth beetle at one stage that kind of helped out type of thing so so it was a good analogy um was, was it always easy from your perspective to just you know rally the t- rally the groups that, and get everything put together for you for the, well, anthologies was- and the books
0: <laughs> It was surprisingly easy because uh, everyone was sort of heading in the in the same direction. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't think you know until there was the uh, the law of America. Uh, there wasn't any real uh, you know bad words said between us as far as decision making or anything like that. As far as the, the characters were concerned, and what we had to do as a as a publishing brand, um, all the decisions kind of flowed quite quite naturally that yes of course we're going to grow out of anthology and yes of course we're going to grow into solo titles and of course we might do some marketing and get a title like GI Joe together to do a little uh, toy sponsorship title Mm -hmm. and we might get other we might have a a line of specials where we can do special projects on the side and it all seemed very very natural as it it progressed along so um, which again I think it just goes to show that uh, since me leading high school and and meeting Ted, that these guys that, that that I've grown up with over the decades have stayed, you know, like firm firm friends. Because we just think so alike, or have thought so alike about what we would like to do with with comics and our characters.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I guess the the fact that beyond comics, you guys were the Yoga Club, and and, and you were you became friends. Despite, no, this, regardless of, not despite <laughs> the fact that you were doing comics <laughs> together, <laughs> and, and I think that that bond is probably what um, sustained it and actually kept it. You know, despite the fact that you guys haven't published something between nineteen ninety five and two thousand and eight or whatever, um, you got you kept in contact, the ideas kept flowing, and um, obviously it's inevitable that you are going to do something again, right?
0: Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think. Uh, it's, it's strange that time has passed and these characters, I mean, no one has really been out of the scene that much. I mean, Glenn Lumsden's has always been working. Dave has always been writing. He had a, uh, a business with Glenn for quite a long time as well after Cyclone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tad, although he has not published Dark Nebula, he's still been writing and coordinating the, the re appraisal of Dark Nebula or the relaunching of Dark Nebula, um, you know, he and I have kept in touch for, for all that time. And, and, of course, while this time is going on, we've been you know, married and, and having families and doing all that kind of stuff outside of what a, you know, a comic book artist or writer would, would do. Yeah. Life goes on. And now it seems to me that uh, you know, kids have grown up. Uh, Australian comics have grown up as well. And there's been a, this uh, look back and a reassessment of uh, what these older characters uh, were about. The, uh, the, it's less about the creator and more about the creations and yeah. the spotlights sort of yeah. being turned on them, particularly with some big anniversaries coming up over the next couple of years yeah. with uh, Squadron mm-hmm. and Nebula. That um, that attention uh, sort of validates the characters and uh, the decisions that we made back in the early 80s mm. that, they're, that they're still remembered and that there's still interest there for, for new material. Yeah.
2: And I, I think that's going to be my next question anyway. The fact that... And Tad also told me that you were critical in making sure that you know the Dark Nebula brand stayed relevant throughout the years when it was published, when he did the online, the online Dark Nebula comic, right? And it um, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. breached the gap, not from start to end, but it was there and it was something that was being
0: produced. <laughs> That was kind of a combination of um, friendship versus uh, a need uh, for, for Tad to push Dark Nebula back into the spotlight again. Mm. But uh, again, living, living a life as you do, Tad's had his ups and downs, and he had a horrible accident that almost took him out completely, and he's had a hard time uh, back then. Uh, bouncing back from that mm. and uh you know the, a big part of his life is the dark nebula and and his creative his creativity and that part of him is, is a large chunk of his, is dark nebula so mm. when he had had his accident and he was um you know in a bit of a a, a dark place excuse the pun <laughs> um it, it seemed natural uh, particularly with the production of uh you know, digital the introduction of digital printing yeah. and uh all the advances in comic production that uh, was a good opportunity to put to him the idea of creating a dark nebula website and posting the stuff online generates an interest again, get Tad's new stories, you know, get him refocused, get some energy happening Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, push the whole thing. But he
2: gained an international reach from it. So, you know, there's a great benefit to the fact that, you know, you were, you were, you were, Initially stuck in news agents where people had to go and find it to having a worldwide reach by being an online uh, entity, right? It's a different,
0: different yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, in a weird way, in an indirect way, I suppose, uh, really has um, directed the the new interest in the Cyclone characters. Uh, I'd suggest that was probably a starting point that those trade paperbacks that uh, Tad eventually coordinated and released was the uh, the start of um, another phase of interest in the characters.
2: Yeah. And that that really is is going to be, it leads into the next question around how the how social media and having direct access to your readers and fan base have changed that, right? It's reinvigorated it to a degree where you can uh, they can post something of Dark Nebula or Southern Squadron on online tonight and it'll have a reach of a few hundred people instantly, right? Um, yeah yep. and I think from my perspective having caught up because as an immigrant I wasn't around when you guys brought it out so my half of my life in Australia was playing catch up to the books that came before me and I got to know the books the characters and the people behind it organically without being the fanboy who goes and stands in the queue because you, you you're at some uh, some comic release or something like that and I think the way that finds, a new audience and you aren't your current, your old audience obviously sticks around, then you're finding a new audience is probably a lot more sustainable in that sense. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and, yeah. and that's why I'm really excited about the projects that's currently happening that whether it's via Revere or, or whatever yeah. Tad and Tad and the guys are going to do in the next six to 12 to 18 months. Um, I do think that no, they're building to something that's big and that's going to just make it more, more of a sustainable entity, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. It is taking it to the next level. Um, uh, I'm always surprised when I get a, a, a message, a Facebook message or a, a Twitter or something like that saying, uh, loved your stuff, Gary. You know, I, it influenced me a lot when I was in high school and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And to have those guys grow up and have their own, you know, um, dreams and desires to be in the comic book industry uh, or even just being a reader and, and still still reading comics after those decades. It mm. never ceases to amaze me how you know, I essentially, and I'm sure I can the same for the other guys in the Cyclone gang, and probably every single comic creator out there, is that they do these things for themselves first. The, the person that they're trying to please the most, you know, when you're drawing a page, is you, you're drawing it for yourself. You're drawing the best thing you can uh, for yourself first, and yeah. then the readership comes afterwards. But to actually realise after so many years that um, you know the artwork that you did send out there in its early stages, but actually found an audience, and then after so many decades and so many years, that audience still trickles back to you to say, "Yeah, I remember you, and I really like that stuff." And da, da da da, and that that is amazing. And when it coalesces into a, a new movement of a new series or crossovers and um, a new way of uh, new stories with those characters. It's yeah. um, a pretty nice uh, end result, really.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, hundred percent. What, what's your opinion on moving from old school printing to being able to do digital printing, on demand printing, pre order, Kickstarter? Uh, how, do <laughs> gonna, yeah, yeah. how do you think that's gonna? How do you think that's going to uh, contribute to the sustainability of the the characters and the teams and the creations that you guys have made over the years?
0: Um, I, I think it'll help. Uh, it's, uh, it seems to be less anxiety, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, well, yeah, no I have to print I know, ten thousand Kickstarter can be pretty, uh, you know, stressful. I suppose. I guess. But, yeah. um, I'm talking yeah, about yeah, printing cool. ten
2: thousand and then sitting with the boxes. Oh, oh, oh
0: <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. Making furniture out of unsold boxes of comics. <laughs> Just throw a sheet over it, and you got a lounge.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: Uh, yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, those were the days. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, the, the technology has made it a lot easier for people to, to um, you know, get that comic in their hands. When the digital stuff, uh, digital printing first started coming out, I was resistant to it um, because I'm kind of old school and, you know, plates and printers ink smells different to toner and, you know, laser laser printing. Yeah. But no, I, I've come around to the fact that that's, just, that's a, just a new way of publishing. It's just another tool to get your, your comic out there. And it it creates that flexibility of smaller print runs that allow for reprinting and the flexibility of even fixing errors that you've noticed. Yeah. Um, You know, like, and new covers. And it's just a new way of doing things that that I accept now and think that's a better way of doing things than the old 10,000 print run and cross your fingers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And of course, you know, the internet and web comics and things like that, I've had uh, a certain amount of success Introducing comics to the web first and then doing the print afterwards, uh, just recollecting the uh, the web comics. Yep. I did that with Will Eisner's John Law and a few other uh, strips that I've done. So that, that is a nice way of, uh, you know, I've learned the, the, the hard way that having something online doesn't diminish the need to have it in print in the market for a print uh, product as well. So yeah, it's not an either or, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So people will still want to have something in their hands, but the uh, the internet is a great tool for for marketing. You know, obviously the social media is a great thing. Um, if Twitter can still be around after today, yeah, my
2: fellow, my fellow South African took it over from the Swanser. Yeah, yeah,
0: crazy <laughs> times.
2: But yeah, you know. oh look, we got Mark Zuckerberg on the one side and him on the other side. It'll be a good yin yang, I guess.
0: <laughs> the world's so, biggest uh, social experiment <laughs> yeah they're all tools for the end result and uh you know i think that it allows for a um, safer experimentation i think uh yeah. you know yeah. the, the kickstarter campaigns they have their um their successes and their failures and they have their own rules of conduct same with digital printing same with behaving online same with marketing and things like that yeah. so as long as people can master the uh the 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 rules and learn how to make them work for the project um i think it's all it's all good
2: yeah that's great man so looking at the the 2022 lineup that um dave and tad and them have shared with me um the books they intend on bringing out and the projects they're currently working on um are you excited to see that coming back are you have you got a sneaky hand involved in in some of the, the the work that's going to come out in the next few years?
0: Uh, um, it wouldn't be sneaky if I, <laughs> <laughs> if I said anything. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, well, not, nothing nothing official.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, there, there is a, a book being worked on by Daniel Best um, about the, the Cyclone story as well. So I'm doing okay. a, cover, a cover for that. That'll be yeah. quite fun. That, that should be out later on this year to uh, okay. take advantage of the anniversaries that are coming along.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and I'm um, I'm trying very hard to say no to a lot of, it's very hard to say no to interesting projects, but I'm trying yeah. to say no yeah. to projects to allow me time to uh, work on some new Jackaroo material. So yeah. my o- overarching plan over the next uh, 12 to 18 months is to get some new Jackaroo material together so that when, Squadron and Dark Nebula have their time in the sun. Um, the next one after that will be some uh, Jackaroo projects that yeah. I'm working on.
2: And Morton Stone?
0: Uh, Morton Stone, yeah, that's going yeah. to be uh, rather more immediate because uh, I'm still working on the tail end of Adventure Illustrated number two. Then straight after that, I'm going into a uh, Morton Stone special featuring some okay. artwork from uh, a bunch of Australian guys. So yeah. that's, that'll be the next thing that's coming out and that'll that yeah. get Morton back out into the uh, the scene again. Oh, that's great, man.
2: It's great to hear that,
0: you know, there's there's plans and things are happening. Uh, Yeah, yeah, always forward motion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's been an interesting couple of years for me because I've had some health issues that have slowed me up. But, Mm. uh, you know, the the new norm has allowed me still to get stuff done. I just had to realign a lot of my expectations on what I can get done. Uh, Just
2: do it it at your pace and do it because you you want to, right? The two most important things in life. Your own place, yep. and because you want to that's all you need to do
0: it just comes back to what i said a little while ago about uh doing it for yourself first yeah and trust that there if you if you do it right that there is a market for your stuff down the track whatever so you know the, the clock's ticking so i'm you know, trying to get as much as i can done uh yeah. and uh, have some fun while i'm doing it
2: no oh, that's amazing man. all right thanks so much for catching up with me um it, it's been a it's been an honor really because I don't think I've, beyond the the one catch-up I've had with you on the shared calls with the yoga clubs and stuff, um, we haven't really formally met, so it's been really good chatting. And thanks so much for the information,
0: though. Um, you seem to have been around for ages and ages, though. I remember just on the, uh, I was catching up with your uh, Facebook messages. the last time we talked was probably four or five years ago when Dennis got the Lifetime Achievement Award for the Eisners and you're uh, there for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, I and remember and he that. mentioned to you that yeah, I got to go down to Australia at some stage and catch up with Gary. And yeah, I talked to, I just talked to Dennis uh, two nights ago by email. 2015. United. Yeah, I've met yeah. him a few and, times
2: actually at, at the Eisners. He's a great guy, yeah. man. He can talk your year um, off. <laughs> I'm there a recording
0: with him because yeah, <laughs> when he starts,
2: because yeah. he's always wearing his funky ties and he's always comes with a few stories.
1: Really, yeah. really
0: nice yeah. guy. Yeah, um, um, yeah, yeah. We, we keep in touch on the email, and uh, it's like. I don't think we're ever going to meet, not face to face. I don't, I just don't yeah. think it's ever going to happen. But we keep yeah. on threatening, you know, this all the time, you know. Yeah. So um, yeah, a great, a great internet friendship. But uh, yeah, he's, he's he seems like a lovely guy, and maybe one of these days we'll have a beer face to face. But uh, ah. you
2: yeah,
0: know, might have to oh. go over to
1: the. States he'll be, the, he'll be there
2: in July. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much, Gary.
0: Yeah. Talk soon. Look after yeah. yourself.
2: You too. Oh. Bye and that's a wrap we'd seriously love your feedback on the episode whether it's on facebook instagram or on the podcast channels give us a yell tell us what you think if you liked it enough subscribe follow us and we'll keep pumping them up as always we'll leave you with local legends torrential thrill and their song mars enjoy